Heralds of Tiamat chased from Amphail. The Faerun Fixers and company were escaping from Amphail after losing their carriage and horses to the onslaught of attacks of the patrols of white drakes and burnished hearts. The constructs and drakes chased the party as they attempted to find a way to stay ahead of them with their slim lead. Vistari turning into a warhorse and using Casanova as a main ride, most of the party took on foot to find some amounts of safety, while Atrophy, Bex, and Scrapshot took to the skies to avoid being attacked by the more dangerous creatures below. Their travel took about four hours and burnt out Vistari's animal shame shape abilities, but they seemed to reach what seemed to be a lull, a place where the burnished hearts and the white drakes avoided. It seemed to be a ruin of sorts, and as they got closer in and started to pass through it, they ran into what seemed to be three very strange-looking dragons. These dragon wormlings are mythic dragons of a variety that have yet to really gain hold in Faerun or have any true allegiances. They are called Borealis dragons and seem to superheat the air around them into a combustible or terribly burning sensation. The three wormlings, Torch, Ash, and Cinder, seem to be full and not too interested in the party as far as conflict was concerned. But they do have a job to do. It seems that they are scouts of some sort for their family. Being the youngest brood, their job is to travel out, hunt for themselves, and collect important information as well as allies for their parents. Their parents being Judicar, the fire starter, and Skilfar, the invisible flame. This became an interesting conversation as they proffered an exchange with the Faerun Fixers. This Farin, the Farin Fixers were asked to essentially help them in finding an orb of dragon kind, which was later to be discovered as a very powerful magical item that can help find evil dragons and even cause them to help or control them. There's various reasons why the party could use this and why they could use this, but it's clear that the Borealis dragon family is interested in trying to get out of under the thumb of the chromatic fam the chromatic dragons of the heralds of tiamat one in particular amathia geshwin and nair nab nabdu basir both dragons being in different territories nair being owning of the sword coast and amathia being in charge of the southern coast area and where Kalimport is seeming to pressure the Borealis dragons, the ancient dragons both the fire starter and the invisible flame into joining them in a tenuous alliance their job is to harry Waterdeep even more with their own personal military on top of Nair's military and to, to, to do this as proof of their allegiance with the chromatics However, they are interested in trying to get out of this, but the Orb of Dragon Kai is the only way they can see out of it. So they're not interested in joining in truth with said 
draconic council yet, but they are curious in a tenuous alliance. They want to own territory, build their hordes, and grow their family. Playing both sides is a dangerous game, and the party, through atrophy mostly, decided to work with them, even if it was a tenuous alliance. Atrophy in particular made a deal with them that would ensure that the Draconic Council would help them as long as they found both Orbs of Dragon Kinds and provided one to the Draconic Council while they have the other. This deal seemed to work fine with Cinder, Torch, and Ash, and they began discussing various other things while the long rest was had. The group, uh, finding that this area, this territory belonged to them, have amount of safety as long as they're with Cinder, Ash, and Torch from the patrols nearby. But there was another concern, another issue. Cinder, Ash, and Torch made it very clear that they are raiding the Waterdeep society very soon. In, more, in less than a day when the group woke up they decided to rush quickly and send a, a message ahead of time to inform Waterdeep of the impending surprise raid this uh, managed to help as they did find various scouts and corpses on the way there and as they arrived to Waterdeep it seemed that they were alerted to the raid and the group managed to get there four hours before the raid occurred this allow them to have some RP situations occur. As they arrive, Vistari, not being very interested in a city with lots of people, managed to pass out through sheer sensory overload and fright, while Kat decided to go her own way and stay away from the Lord's Alliance. However, the reasons may be, they uh, stayed nearby, but not in direct connection or nearness to the party Atrophe uh, made it very clear that those that go with the Lord's Alliance will be conscripted into the group the Farron Fixers as they uh, traveled through the city they reached the Lord's Alliance Guild Hall and spoke with Aldor Aldor paid out the group for dealing with the Cobalt Mine 100 gold each to those surviving party members and those who stuck around as well as offered them an option to provide assistance in the coming raid. They could also choose to be non-interventional and try to hide in the, the guild hall, but there was no guarantee that the guild hall wouldn't be attacked and they would have to defend themselves. The options were pretty straightforward. They could be in the vanguard, which Aldor did not suggest. It's a very dangerous job and usually from some of the more seasoned adventures. The protection duty of civilians, which is something they did impromptu the first time they experienced a raid, or with the information they gained from Dabs that Atrophe is aware of, they can negotiate with the Zentarum, who run the Undercity, to provide assistance with this new raid. The Zentarum only provide assistance with raids when they are attacked, and it seems that this raid will only focus on Waterdeep above ground. The group decided to go with this deal and uh, headed out to the Mount Waterdeep to find the entrance and speak with the Zentarum leaders, or at least the Zentarum representatives. We'll see how it goes and what connections are made and if the group can get some type of assistance from the shadowy organization of the Underdark. Heralds of Tiamat, 
Zintarum reigns. As the Farron Fixers began their journey into the Mount Waterdeep, they slowly came to the realization that they were ill-prepared for this negotiation to get the Zintarum to agree to help with the upcoming surprise raid. As they deliberated amongst themselves, they decided that Zephyr will be the one to help in their negotiation process. As they reached the location deep within inside the mountain, there was a huge lava flow that seemed to be having a massive stone bridge meant to collapse at any point in time. Mechanically, of course. As they saw people rushing across, they were greeted by what seemed to be a massive giant and several undead and other strange individuals. They have reached what would be considered the Underdark. Oki, which seems to be the representative, a high-ranking member and official of the Zentarum, approached, asking what they are here to do. As behalf on the Lord Alliance, Zephyr stepped forward and began his negotiations. At first, it did seem a little rough, as they found out that Yuki, or Royale as they knew her, her real name, not her stage name, Yuki as a bard, was apparently an apprentice to the goblin bard Master Bates. As the group found out about this, and Master Bates apparently being quite upset with them for not only leaving Royale or Yuki behind inside the dungeon, but also getting his cousin Gonk killed, this uh, influenced a bit of the discussion and caused a little bit of worry about how the, the Farron Fixer's relationship with the Underdark will continue. But with some clever negotiations and some good persuasion, Zephyr managed to keep it out of the, the key negotiation with Oki. As the negotiation continued, he presented some good facts and some decent deception that kept Oki on his toes. Oki finally agreed to a deal a simple stipulation that essentially the party will have to do a quest for the Zentarum and the Zentarum in turn will do two raids instead of one along with the information that is given to them by Atrophy. There is only one catch. They had to go to the city, Sumerian, down in the Underdark, the Undercity of Waterdeep and receive their quest then. They have to receive it within a week's time, and they are not to leave Waterdeep before getting it. Otherwise, it, the whole endeavor will be void. Coming to a conclusion that they would agree with this situation, they shook hands and branded poor Zephyr with a Zentarum mark that will affect him if he happens to go back on his word or neg on his agreements. As the group decided that that situation was over and they managed to come to a conclusion that, well, they should probably attempt to go down into the Underdark. But with everyone leaving and no real direction on where to go, it uh, became another adventure. As they traveled deeper underground, hearing the, the war raid horn go off, they managed to reach a cavern. They took a long rest and then came to a realization. The Underdark is massive, and they are traveling farther and farther away from where Waterdeep is. 
they don't necessarily know where the Undercity is in this part of the Underdark. And while it doesn't look like it's a maze of tunnels, it doesn't look like the city is obviously anywhere in sight. Their survival and their checks were made in haste and along with some very important magical aid for travel through Vistari's tireless spell, the group was able to maintain a pace that was ground-eating, but was not able to protect them from the dangers of the Underdark, one of which was a massive carnivorous amphibious ship. This ship chased them through a portion of the Underdark for about four hours as the group attempted to dash it away and have it crash into objects as well as burn the hull. With a lucky shot from Scrapshot, they managed to harm some of the creatures that were directing the ship and got the ship off their tail. Other than that, the rest of the travel did not seem to go too badly. They ran into some will-o'-wisps that hurt them a little bit, but was not too worrisome. But Cat did come upon a problem. As they were traveling farther from the river that was adjacent to their current travel, Cat realized that going the direction they were going would lead them probably farther away from the actual city. They don't necessarily know where the city is, but it would need to be near water. Cat decided, and with uh, some of Atrophe's deliberation, that staying near the water would be the best choice, and they decided to double back and go check out the river. As they traveled and checked out the river, they found a dock that told to light a fire to hail, or light a torch to hail, depending on what language you were reading. As the group uh, decided to get to the dock, they had been tired and been traveling for roughly 16 to 20 hours and decided to take a long rest before they gained exhaustion. Resting on the edge of the dock near the cliffs, the 100-foot cliffside, they began to sleep one by one, and Bex, who was paying attention and staying up for the watch, began to hear something beneath the, the dock bridge. Heralds of Tiamat, a race through the Underdark. Well, more like, how to start a fire. The Faroon Fixers were staying overnight on a bridge-slash-dock that protruded out of the cliffside in the Underdark over a raging, miles-long river. They were attempting to figure out what to do next, so they decided to wait, take a long rest, and then heed the words on the end of the dock that said, Light a fire to hail. Well... On the first watch, Bex heard something. It was a uh, a splashing noise, but it didn't sound very good. It ended up uh, being Katoa, fish people who live inside of the Underdark, in mostly the underwater caverns, dragging their enemies into the depths to suffocate and kill them. And there was lots of them. These Katoa came onto the bridge seemingly with no issue and came with them a massive, dangerous-looking, frog-like aberration creature that oozed cold slime and grappled creatures to strangle them to death. The battle was hard fought, and just when the group thought they were having the upper hand, three more of the large aberration-like creatures came out of the dark. Feeling 
a moment of loss and what seemed to be hopelessness, a woman appeared suddenly, sliding down the hundred-foot cliff, screaming, Light a fire! Light a fire! Doing her best to start a fire on her own, the rest of the group realized that the fire seemed to frighten the larger and more dangerous creatures. The Katoa was something they can handle, but these aberrations, these frog-like monsters from their nightmares, are a little bit over their heads, and using their weakness, which seemed to be fire, seemed to be the best way out of this situation. Working together and having some close calls, Jostara and Motu taking most of the hits and barely surviving by the skin of their teeth, they managed to light enough fires and kill enough Katoa to break the conflict, having the large aberration creatures flee into the water and the seemingly tough Katoa at the time to break conflict and run for their lives. As they escaped, the group... The group tried to figure out what to do next. Corellia let them know that lighting the fire and keeping it as burning as long as they can will keep the docks safe from the Katoa because they are not confident enough to attack people without their pet aberrations. This was good to know as the party managed to come to a head and some understandings. One in particular, Beck, seemed to be covered in ooze and was excavating something from the strange aberration creature. What? Not many of the other characters know but it was a strange sight to see her crawl out of the aberration that managed to be killed during the conflict as the rest of the group waited for the doc to do its job they were greeted by interesting sight a massive balloon airship that flew in the distance about eight hours later dropping a rope ladder for the group to climb onto and board for 10 gold each to sleep on the deck and 25 gold to sleep in the hull in a room for their own they met captain 69 and lieutenant missionary a water genasi who seems to work for the zentarum as one of the six airships that take people to the edge of where the entrance is to the Sumerian city the underdark city under Waterdeep and her lieutenant a fire genasi who also is a particular character they uh, seem easygoing but have a no-nonsense attitude to them they said fighting on their ship is a hanging offense and by hanging they mean hang hung over the edge of their ship and used as bait to catch dangerous creatures uh this is a definitely not a fate that the characters want to experience and they are made aware that it will take about two days for them to reach the location that they're attempting to go to it seems that reaching the underdark city is much harder than expected but based on the way they've been traveling they just might make it to Sumerian on time we'll find out what happens next time on heralds of tiamat Heralds of Tiamat, the warm welcome. The Farron Fixers left the ship, heading to the northeastern area of the Underdark with some directions from the captain to hopefully find their way to the ravine. Ravine's a strong word as it is a massive gouge with 250 foot high walls sheer nearly on both sides and miles of land between. Upon reaching this location and traveling at speed, they came across a wall 
Massive in size and likely a barricade. This was mentioned before as a checkpoint to get into the city, at least this direction. They decided to take a long rest and uh, figure out what they were doing or what was going to happen. During the long rest, they encountered several things. Some strange little bones cropping across the ground, feeling everything they touch, and making what seemed to be records. And they found some strange sinkholes and straight rock or bedrock that should be solid that leads into a void. There was even webbing that seemed to fall like rain from the sky, sticking things to the ground. They managed to make their way out of it and complete their long rest. And when they arrived at the massive, shambly wooden wall that exists to block what seemed to be any type of raid from here, they heard what sounded like goblin chatter. The goblins came down and they asked who they were. They said that they were a delegation. The Farron Fixers were a group of people who were told by Oki to come here. The goblins snickered to themselves and said, Great, we are waiting for you. Now leave. You're not making it across this wall. And they, and they immediately decided to go back up and leave the group to their difficult situation. The group decided to try to circumvent the wall, fly over it, and when they did, fire became everywhere. The wall is apparently built as a murder hole and was not too kind. The goblins rained down arrows on the group and managed to push them back 500 feet away from the wall. The group decided to make a mad dash, doing tireless and having a group fly in the air. They immediately headed out and tried to run past it as quickly as possible. With Casanova in behind and the Moorbounder ahead with Sanctuary, the, they managed to make it about halfway across the ravine space where the wall was held, but the, more, but the horse Casanova was taken down nearly immediately. And as Casanova went down, Cat and Karelia had to fend for themselves. The Moorbounder made it across and barely made it to the other side of the second obstacle, being knocked out. Vistari decided to take her form again and make a mad dash, becoming a pincushion with her and Zephyr and Motsu. Making it out of there just barely... Kat and Corellia decided to take a more direct route, Corellia hiding in the corners and taking cover while Kat managing to take the dodge action and nearly evading many attacks. As they pushed their way through heavily, Kat managed to make it after Corellia escaped to the moorbounder Vistari who managed to get her to safety. Barely escaping and running off the distance, they know that the goblins will be coming for them soon, and hopefully they can find their way to the city before they reach them. Above, in the air, Bex and Scrapshot and Atrophy were attempting to fly over it, hoping that this way was safer. Much to their chagrin, it was not. This massive creature, a sky swimmer, a gargantuan beast, rose out of the darkness and started attacking them. They tried a quick dodge, but were unable to evade it, and Bex managed to give it a little bit of a shock and direct its aggression towards Atrophy, who can take a hit. As the creature was distracted, they free-falled, pretending to be dead in one way or another, and fell far enough to lose the creature's interests, and managed to escape to meet up with the rest of the party. As they uh, got past their warm welcome, the Farron Fixers came across a massive stone statue of a woman with wings and a beautiful sword. What this means, or what this will be, they don't know, but Kat made it clear that there was supposed to be some type of lock that leads to the city, and this statue probably has something to do with it. 
we'll see what happens next time on The Statue and the Raid. Heralds of Tiamat, The Statue and the Raid. As the Faroon Fixers and company decided to engage in the situation and figure out how to get to the Undercity proper, Atrophe read something on the side of the statue that was in their way. The statue was of a woman. Her faceless features and strange sword, made of complete stone, inscribed on the side as Atrophe read it, was, Solve all three and we let you be. And upon those words, part of the Farron Fixers and company became mired in some strange magic. Several members of the party disappeared mentally into some type of illusion, some type of conjuration that either transported themselves or at least their minds into different locations, two of which were left behind, Corellia and Bex, to figure out what was going on. Left with the statue and all their friends seeming to be in a haze, Corellia and Bex began to investigate, roll some insights, and check what happened. The statue said something different now. On the sword blade, it said, show me the greatest wealth. Upon reading this over and over again, they noticed that there were three other words beneath the statue, just out of eyeline. One saying friendship, the other saying love, and the last saying treasure. Upon putting various things on these types of items, things that they've loved, things that represent friendships, and things that represent treasure, all the words disappeared, but it did not seem to solve their problem, their situation. While they were attempting to figure this out, they discovered that the sword itself seemed to be more in the eyesight of the statue, and they figured the words beneath they weren't quite in the line of sight that they were thinking about. At least, if you wanted to show the, the greatest wealth to the statue itself. So they decided to reach for the blade and see if they can investigate it further. Turning the blade and making the, the words face the creature, they discovered that the words on the blade were similarly inscribed as the words that were on the panels below. Which would suggest that if they were to disappear or to be changed in some way, there might be a way to show the greatest wealth. Bex came to the conclusion while Corelli was judging how many words can be separated that they should separate out everything but the greatest wealth on the sword. This caused a wicked smile to show up on the face, the face of the faceless maiden of swords and they seemed to have succeeded in their puzzle. Meanwhile, Atrophe, Motsu, and Zephyr were all teleported or transported mentally into a ritual site. A small hill and at top of it a rift of purple and blue haze. All of their friends, at least seemingly from their point of view, were dead. Laid strewn about in poses of macabre death. All dead from different wounds or painful injuries that were fatal. 
The horrible scene took some moments to get used to, but they figured that if their friends were dead, there was a reason. And then they heard the voice in their mind, show me the meaning of life through death. They contemplated this topic and tried to decide what it meant to them. They threw around some ideas and decided to investigate the top of the ritual site. As they investigated, they discovered that the the purple haze of blue and purple dis- was trying to pull on something, something on their minds, some some type of ideas, thoughts, and they came to the conclusion that it wanted them to express their thoughts. But how to express their thoughts? Well, Atrophy figured it was talking. But talking about what? Motu and Zephyr contemplated that maybe talking about their friends, their dead friends, would satisfy this test, this puzzle. Talking about them and realizing when they did fond memories and discussions about the people that they've known and the groups of unlikely adventurers that they've met up with, they saw the bodies disappear one by one as a story of them was brought up. A story about Jisso, a story about Cat, a story about Scrapshot, a story about Corellia, a story about Bex, all who seem to have passed, even a story about Mishtari, all fond memories of Zephyr, Motsu, and Atrefe, all consumed by the rift. And when the last body faded, the voice said, Life through death is memories. The memories of those who have died are the way they live on in the world of the living. As the group decided to ponder this thought, their minds started to phase out. And meanwhile, the last group, Vishtari, Scrapshot, and Cat, were all in a strange tower. They traveled up and found some interesting items. A dagger that seemed to have an instrument attached to it, a flute of some sort, a strange pair of boots, a ring that seemed to provide a strange heat in the gem, a eye patch with a strange emerald on it, a ring that seemed to be etched with a feather decal or look. These items, well, strange but interesting. Uh, seemed to mean something to them and they tried to make them work in one way or another discovering that everything in the place was magical they were trying to determine how these items would be used to solve this puzzle and get themselves out of this situation they also found a cube upstairs inside one of the dressers but it also did not lead to much there was also two other items two other things inside the tower with them a statuesque hellhound a dog of lava and fire seeming to be paralyzed in permanent form. As this was observed and nothing changed about it, they reached the top of the tower and discovered a wisp, a tiny little light that seemed to glow. Upon traveling up and down the tower, they were reminded of a phrase, show me a light that never fades. And this was uh, repeated to them several times as they passed up and down through the tower trying to discover how to get out. On a couple occasions, they discovered that the glass glass door that led outside actually led to a bottomless pit that was sure to kill them. 
Most of the time, trying to avoid the pit, they tried to use the items inside the tower to come to some type of conclusion, some type of solution. And unfortunately, nothing seemed to work. So, they decided to take a, a leap of faith. While thinking of bravery and the hopes that her friends were right, Vishtari decided to pass through the glass and fall to her death. This leap of faith had her plummeting down and down and down. And as she collapsed and smashed into the ground below, she faded from nothing. Scrapshot simultaneously decided to take this leap, but was thinking more about protection, thinking about how she can help those in Waterdeep and be a protector, someone who can care for others. And her wings were cut from her body and her screams held howled at the wind as she fell at terminal velocity in pain and in some fear she smashed into a broken heap a corpse upon the ground left to die cat mortified and no way in thinking in her right self raged and said that i will make this leap for my friend because she is dead and that i am i may be responsible Taking this leap and this thought process, Cat also plummeted, feeling pain and some fear even through her rage, but collapsing into a heap of death. Waking up with the rest of the party, not feeling like they solved the problem, Vishtari being the only one who seemed to have disappeared in the proper sense, while the other two experienced death in all of its meaning. However, it seemed that two out of the three puzzles were enough to continue, and it seems like Vistari, Cat, and Scrapshaw managed to come out of it with some interesting magical items. As they decided to travel deeper down and enter the revealed portal hole that the statue slid, slid away from, the group traveled a long, arduous tunnel. This tunnel led for miles, and they traveled for many hours, heading back almost exactly the way they came, likely to more than directly under water deep. As they made this travel and decided to incur a bit of exhaustion, they reached the checkpoint, saw some hobgoblins, and kept going, and then decided to take a long rest. During this long rest, they identified the items that they found and doled them out to each other. During this time, they attuned and became aware that some of their items were cursed. Uh, just like how Zephyr's shawl is, they are difficult to remove or hard to remove on their own and essentially will curse the wearer until a removed curse spell is placed on them. Worried that these cursed items are because they failed their puzzle or possibly that they were planted there as a red herring to mire the party, who knows. And upon their waking and upon their travels at the very beginning of the next day, the final day, the day that they will reach the city of Sumerian. Well, let's just say the party was greeted by a terrible sound. The creature of legend. Massive, dangerous roars. These sounds echoed everywhere inside the building and we shook the tunnel as they were trying to discover what was going on and where the damage was coming they began to run began to travel with speed trying to discover what to do and then suddenly as if from nowhere in front of them and behind them 
dragons appeared, digging out of the ground and assaulting the party with fervor. Atrophy wielded her blade and managed to fell one. The conflict ensued and it seemed that they might be trapped. Getting out of the kill zone of what is a singular tunnel, the group managed to separate in some regard, but more dragons appeared. Will they be able to escape this raid as soon as it's begun, or will they suffer the fate of dying in a tunnel alone on the way to Samiria? We'll find out next time on Heralds of Tiamat, Dragon's Assault.